we have our children's education program during the worship service as well, so they're off to continue their learning and their sharing in the body of Christ. And uh, what a glorious morning to have the children witness to us. Just a, a quick word I want to say to you um, about where we are in the construction. It's still going on. <laughs> I wanted you to know that. Um, but it's rapidly moving forward now. The um, new gathering space out right out here has the new cement floor poured. Next week they'll be pouring the rest of the cement to make the uh, ramp and the stairs and the porch will come into our pre-existing narthex. Uh, and then that will be enclosed. And once that happens, that entire grand hall you came in on, that whole area just moves very quickly as everything is enclosed, drywalls underway, those kinds of things. So we really are moving very quickly towards uh, anticipating uh, completion of the project, except for things like landscaping and the inevitable wonderful punch list, um, sometime the first part of June. Also, um, this past uh, week, the uh, new gym floor was installed, and it is in. You can't get on it yet. It needs curing for about another four or five days. But if you want to go peek through the door or go up to the children's wing and look over the balcony, it'll give you a great chance to look at what the new gym floor looks like. So a lot is happening. This is a very active work site throughout the week. So when you come in, uh, if you happen to be here during the middle of the week, you're going to see a lot of activity, but it's all happening so we can get ready to use this new wonderful space this fall, uh, this summer and get ready for a glorious launch in the fall. So thanks be to God for all that good work, for all of your support for that ministry, and also uh, prayers for the safety of all those who are working so they continue uh, being safe and effective as God's gifts to us. So thank you. I want to give you that information. Today we are continuing talking about the um, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there aren't many. Uh, we really get most of them from the other Gospels. But in, in Matthew, uh, in chapter 28, Jesus' resurrection occurs at the beginning of the chapter. In the middle of the chapter, it tells that wonderful story about how they tried to, they mean those who had killed Jesus, tried to start to spin the yarn and stories about what had happened to try to deny his resurrection and then at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus goes to where he had predetermined to ask the disciples to gather in Galilee so that he can appear to them and give to them what I'm calling to, for you today, our job description. So the scripture that Barb's about ready to read uh, picks up where Jesus is with those disciples on the mountain in Galilee, and here's what he tells them. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Barbara. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious, loving, and eternal God, your message for us today might in fact be a very personal one. So as we open up our hearts to you, I not only ask that we would hear what 
you are saying through me, if in fact I can get out of the way, but more importantly that we each hear uniquely what you are saying to the us, to the me, the message of what our work is, what our hope is, what our joy is, what our truth is in you. So speak and bless everyone in this room right now. And bless those who we reach out to and impact in the week to come, that this might truly be a worship where you are lifted up, your name is praised, and your people are prepared. For the work of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It has now been three weeks since Easter. It feels much longer than that, back in history to me. Maybe it's because each day of this past winter has seemed like 18 days. <laughs> Amen? So in some ways it feels more like about seven months ago Easter came. And, and then, of course, there was last Sunday, which was a peculiar Sunday. Um, we did discover that we can hold church and live stream it, so... What we're going to do uh, soon in the near future is I'm staying in bed, live streaming from my bedroom <laughs> to you in here. It seems like the only thing that seems just and fair. I know Colin's saying, no, we can't do that. Okay, well, that was a thought. Anyway, Easter may seem like a, a long distance from here. We have been living our lives. We've been going about our routines. We may have been remembering some of the message of Easter, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive and here with us now, but perhaps I'm not the only one in the room who at times has still, after knowing that message, spent hours in angst or stress or pain or hurt or fear or brokenness. Anyone else? No matter how big a day Easter is, it is interesting to realize that God's Easter people continually need to be brought back to it, continually need to be reminded of it, continually need to be invited to experience it, to reclaim it, to celebrate it daily. Which is why in Matthew, I think, as soon as Jesus is resurrected, the next thing that happens, that is to say, between Jesus and his disciples, is that he appears to them on this mountain in Galilee. Jesus' post-resurrection life in Matthew is a very abbreviated one, but a critical one. He comes and joins with his disciples on that mountain to give them this final teaching. I want you to capture this. He's leaving He's about to ascend into heaven. He has just a few minutes, not only his last sermon, where everybody shows up to wish the pastor goodbye, he has a few minutes to give direction to the only ones he has any hope will carry the message of the Christian faith forward. So gathered around him, the disciples listened. And he shares with them this message that you just heard Barb read. And the first part of it is so comforting to me. There on the mountain in Galilee, standing in front of the resurrected Lord, still feeling the afterglow of resurrection joy first revealed, these disciples, it says, both worshipped and doubted. Do you take comfort in that? 
that they worshipped and doubted. They still had places in their own faith, in their own trust about what would happen and what was going to happen, that while they worshipped, they still doubted. Thanks be to God, I'm not the only one. I mean, I've only been doing this for a few years. And there are still days that I wonder. And maybe sometimes that wonders more about me than God, but sometimes, truthfully, I'm not sure what God's doing. Can I just be honest with you about that? On that mountain in front of the resurrected Lord, they worshipped and they doubted. And that's all God needed to work with. He didn't need perfect people with confirmed faith that had no doubts. In fact, the truth is, probably can't work with them as well. Because it's in the midst of our doubting and our questioning and our wondering, we leave enough space for God to come in and speak to us, reveal to us, love us, care for us. When I'm so certain I've got it, I know it, I'm all about it, I find I tend to get more closed, less open to listening. So on that mountain, they worshiped and doubted. And if you're here this morning to worship and there's still a little bit of doubt in you, you're in great company. And to those who were worshiping and doubting at the same time, he gives them this message. Go and make disciples in my name. Jesus continues to reach out and call whom seem to be the less least likely and the least prepared to go and do the work. But he confirms that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says, and knowing that, I'm sending you. I'm sending you who worship me. I'm sending you who sit here and doubt me. I'm sending you because I can work with you. I can work in you. I can use your strengths and abilities. I can even use your weaknesses and frailty because that's where people will relate. That's where people will understand that maybe God can work with them too. Jesus did not want to send out these fantastic, fanatical, robotic Christians who had no doubt who would relate to them. He wanted to send out people who were still trying to figure it out, who still had more to grow in their prayer life, who still had more to grow in how to, how to worship and how to witness their faith because there's something about someone whose frailty shows where I've become more comfortable with my own. Oh, there's so often times within the life of the church this attitude, and I know it's true, where you sit there and you go... I'm not the one who can take the lead on this. I'm not the one who can be very effective. I don't have much to offer. There's so much I don't know. We go down the long list of everything we don't know. God goes down the list of what he can do with you and through you. So he says to those disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in my name, in the name of the triune God. And when you baptize them, then teach them and remember that I'm with you always. It seems to me it's not unfair to call this the church's job description. Why does the church exist? When I first came to Clarkson United Methodist Church, I invited folks to join with me for that first year to ask that question. Do any of you remember those conversations? That first year we got together, 
one Saturday a month just for the morning, and we read books, and we prayed, and we looked at the Bible, and we asked the question, what is the work of the church? Because so oftentimes, even wonderful churches as you were when I inherited you, when I came to this great place, even wonderful churches can get used to falling into a pattern of what we do. This is how we do church. Without remembering why we are supposed to be the church. What God might be asking of us. And so we thought about it, we talked about it, and we prayed about it. And then we moved forward, trying to figure it out and move towards the dream that we thought God was asking us to be. How do we be the church here in this place at this time? Truth is, throughout the history of all of Christendom, we've had a lot of fails in trying to live out this job description. Just the very simply making disciples in the name of Jesus. There are times that we have failed miserably at this. I remember in my studies of history and world religion and movements of the church, I remember reading about how the church throughout various eras of its life has used this command to go make disciples of all nations as an excuse to colonialize people to make them like us. I remember stories in India of missionaries gathering literally thousands of Hindus together and having them walk underneath a tree where they were poured water on them claiming they were now baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in a misguided attempt to think if you just splash water on people, you've saved their souls and done something for Jesus. Along with splashing folks like that with water, they are forced to learn how to eat like good Europeans. As if somehow, to come to the table of the Lord, you need to know how to use a knife and a fork. Well, we've messed it up. We thought making disciples was making others like us. And we forgot. We forgot about the table that the Lord sets. We forgot about those who sat around table with Jesus. And if there's anybody you ever get a chance to have a, a, a dinner with, to have lively conversation, go have a dinner with Jesus. Because there's going to be some wild cats sitting around that table. There's going to be some amazing conversation. They will not all be alike. They will not look alike. They will not have the same history. They have a lot of stories to tell. The table of the church is supposed to reflect that. We've sometimes messed that up. And then baptizing in the name of the triune God. Well, Jesus had to say that because there have been times in our history we have tried to baptize others in our name. We tried to devise a way in which we made baptism a secret rite, and somehow our baptism becomes better than your baptism. We tried to make sure that we want to baptize everybody into our denomination, into our particular theology. We wanted to make sure that we had certain behaviors around baptism, because if you don't do this and don't do that, it's not legitimate baptism. We've even believed in the life of the church that you want to make sure that only certain clergy do you get baptized from because they're the ones who do baptize them in a special way. Ignoring the fact that those of us who do baptism up here are simply tools of God's grace. I've never baptized somebody in my life. I've held babies as Christ baptized them. It's never me.
And I've never baptized anybody into just our faith. When you're baptized, you're baptized into a personal relationship in the community of the church. It's an initiation into the body of Christ universal. So my baptism isn't better than a Lutheran baptism. Don't say that outside of this room, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> and it's why when we, bat when we bring people into the church, we ask, are you baptized? We don't say by who. If you were baptized, we know who did it. I don't know where you were. I don't know the name of the church. I don't know the person who was holding you when you were baptized, but I know who did the baptism, and it's okay by me. And then he says you have to teach the baptized. See, we forget that baptism is not a rite of passage. It's not like you get your first baby shoes and, you know, all those things we do with our children or as adults. It's not simply a... It is an act of holy covenant that we make with the baptized individual regardless of their age. People say all the time, why do we do baptism of babies? They don't know what's going on. You know what? I graduated from a prestigious university to get my seminary degree. I've been doing this 38 years, and there's a whole lot about baptism that I just trust and faith in. I don't fully get. Do you understand that? I can argue it. I can write about it. I can theologize about it. But the best part of baptism is beyond my ability to fully control, manipulate, or understand. It's trust in the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And so a baby's got as much chance of understanding as I do. But that baby and that adult who we baptize is not initiated into their own solo walk with Jesus. They're initiated into the church, which is why when we do baptism, like we're going to do at 11 o'clock today, the congregation there and you vicariously through them are making a covenant that those parents will not have to go it alone. Those children will not have to be void of a community that cares about them. Did you see the children up here singing this morning? That's part of your covenant with them. Your children may be grown. Your children may be out of Wesley Choir and Cherub Choir, so those ministries don't matter to you anymore. Those ministries are your ministries. You're fulfilling your covenant to those children to make sure we continue to do those things because we're shaping them to make them into disciples of Jesus Christ. That's your work. That's our work. It's a holy covenant. So, yes, we will teach them. And thanks be to God. We remember that we're not doing this alone. We have messed up this great job description a lot in the years past, but there's times we've got it right. Throughout the history of the church, there's been explosions when we finally figured out just to let Jesus love people through us, and folks' lives were changed and the world was changed. And when the church has stood out in its desire to witness Christ, it did so also by caring for people who seems to be when it worked best. When we not only proclaimed the gospel and invited people to come to church, but we also fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty, gave education to those who were excluded from education, and fought for justice who did not have a voice. That's our job description. This, this calling of Christ, this calling of Christ for us to, to minister to the world, 
is a wide open invitation to all people. And that means no one can be excluded. In fact, that means we're called to go and make disciples of all people, welcoming them all to our table. The church should not be the second most inclusive entity in the church. But in too many communities, you know the most inclusive entity in the, church, in the community is the bar. They'll take anybody. I have it on first-hand authority. I have it on good authority that there are places where you can walk in and no one matters that you're there. But sometimes the church is the place where people feel like they can't come. We've done to people who are women. Oh, no, you can come, but take care of the dinners for us, we said. We did it to persons of color. Well, no, we want you to have your church over there. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, we still have an awful lot of work to do in that area. And realize that when we say we want you to come here, it didn't mean we're going to keep this a male-dominated church. Nor are we only going to do worship the way white folk like it. We may even get some sounds and some ways of celebrating that defy the way you all just sit there. <laughs> uh, calm, calm down, calm down. We might welcome into the church, like Jesus did, people the rest of the world says don't belong. LGBTQ. Immigrants. Because in the church, I don't have those screens on. In the church, I'm fulfilling my job description to go make up all, invite them into the community, learn from each other, and welcome all to the table of the Lord. That's our job description. And not just a few. If you think those of us in these uh, black robes are the only ones who can do it, the truth is we're the least capable of doing it. Because folks know we're wearing these robes. And they're scared of us. And they don't think we know how to live real life. You are the ones Jesus gathered up on the hill and said, go and make of all disciples. This fall is going to be a big fall in the life of this church. We will have had the new building now for a couple of months by then, and we'll have figured out how to get around, how to turn on the lights, how to use the space effectively for ministry. And this fall, we're going to open up the entire building and operate it at its fullest capacity to serve the community in which we live, to invite as many people as we can into the building for everything that they can come into this building for because we want this to be an inclusive, y'all welcome here, gathered together because we are fulfilling our job description to reach out to all for the sake of Christ, to make disciples in his name, not in our image, but as Christ will lead them and to build the body of Christ here in this place and time. 
Right now, we're working on a discipleship pathway that makes sense for people who aren't churched. It's real simple. We say in the middle of everything, the church exists to worship God. So if you have time for nothing else this week, come to worship. And we're going to be creating new worship. But come to worship, because that's where we gather together. That's where we pray together. That's where we connect with each other. So come and worship if you have time for nothing else. But if you have time for something else, we invite you to do at least one of these three things. Come learn something. We have classes. All kinds of classes. For all ages. Come learn something. Quit hiding behind the fact, I don't know enough Bible. We'll teach you Bible. We can do that. But there's some who aren't going to be all that excited about classes. That's okay. Then come serve. You don't have to know anything to go on adult righteous mission except the willingness to help other people. Or the other mission opportunities we have. Or maybe volunteer in the life of the church. It's not hard, but we sure could use some help. And maybe you'd have some fun working alongside other people. And then finally, if not that, then come into the community and connect. Do an activity. Be part of a small group. Come and play jiggle belly basketball. You know what that is? That's when people like me play basketball. <laughs> or, or, or play volleyball. Or play, yes, I hold back, pickleball. <laughs> but whatever it is, Come and be part of the body of Christ. We want to make it as easy as possible because you know what? We have a job description to fulfill. And ultimately, Jesus did not say, y'all, we've had three good years. Let's camp out right here, love on each other, invite those who are a lot like us, and sit on this hill and just really enjoy ourselves. Go. And make disciples in my name, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them what they need to know. And don't forget, I'm with you always. That's how we'll do it. So my question to you this morning is a simple one. What will you do next? to fulfill this job description. Christ is asking each one of us that question today. No one is in a place where God can't use you. What will you do next? The world waits. Amen.